You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Hello, Stonegate. Hello. I hope that you uh, are doing well this morning. I am excited about uh, today's service. And I pray that, man, like, 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 like I pray that God has just really made uh, much of in today's service. Uh, it was on yesterday morning, I was at White Rhino sipping on some good coffee, and I realized I had 18 pages worth of sermon notes. <laughs> that is equivalent to me preaching about three and a half hours. <laughs> and so, God made the executive decision. Son, cut that out. Uh, and so today, you're going to hear part one <laughs> of a three-part series that I would finish in, in next spring. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to do part one uh, today, part two, probably in November, and then the early part of next year, you'll hear part three of this sermon. Isn't God good? <laughs> Amen. And so, man, uh, uh, with that, man, and so I'm not going to lie to you like I lied to the first service. I lied and said, give me, this is going to be the shortest sermon in Stonegate's history. It was not. <laughs> so, I'm going to say I'm going to preach a third of, of this sermon and let God do what God wants to do. Amen. Uh, though my hope and desire is not to be as long as I was in the first service. With that, uh, I'm going to, uh, so, so Juice read the text, Mark 10, 35 through 45, which is the idea and the theme of the first portion of this sermon. And so today I'm going to work through the intro and, and work through the definition and flesh that out some. And then I'm going to sit down some more. Okay? So this idea of, man, of, of, of this uh, desire to be great. And I have to admit that there is a desire I believe that God has placed in me and all of us to be just that. Uh, that is, to be great. Uh, when I look at just where I am now, man, there is a desire for me to be a, a great follower of Christ. I, I, I desire to be a great husband, a great father to my uh, children. I desire to be a great leader, great pastor, great man, just man, uh, a great man. I just desire to be used greatly by God. And I think if we all would be real with ourselves, it's a desire that, that we all have. That I believe that in us is this innate desire for us to want to be great. It just seems though God is going to define greatness differently than how the world has perceived what being great is. 
When you look at the world, the world, they perceive, they conceive greatness as the accumulation of possessions, having, having that title, uh, being in power, having prestige. That, 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 that the world, that, that's, what, that's how they have identified what greatness is, what, where you live and what you drive and how many degrees you have, all these things in the world's eyes, they've defined as greatness. Now, we're not saying that those things are wrong and of themselves, but if that's where you land on greatness, Christ has a message for you on this morning. When you look at this idea of greatness and how I believe God is not trying to, God is not trying to suppress that, that ambition. I think he wants to redefine, redirect, and or redeem the idea of what greatness is. When you look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, there is this discourse between God and David. In the midst of this discourse, David's going to do his thing as now he's, he's now king, and David has this, idea, this desire also to be great as a king. But look what God says to David about this idea of being great. He says, I, I being God, have been with where I have been with wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I, God, will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. God is saying, David, I'm going to make you great. Like the ones you know about Abraham, Moses, and Isaac, and Jacob, and all the, I'm going, I'm going to do for you what I did for them. And, and no, I'm going to do it. That you can rest and know that I'm the one that's going to make your name great in all the earth. Imagine if God came and told you that just today, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make your name great in all the earth. How would you respond? What would you say in response to that? Let me read you David's response in verse 25 and 26 of the same chapter. He says, and now, Lord God, confirm your, uh, confirm your word forever that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. Verse 26 and your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God of Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established forever. It's odd because in this text, David is already made king. And God has promised him, David, with you being king, I'm going to also make you great. But David responds to God's declaration over his life is though I'm king and in and, and, and the midst and the presence, God, of you, I am simply a servant. He's king, but in 
God's eyes, in God's view, in, in, in God's presence, he's a servant. And now today, we, we, we hold this, we probably hold the, we hold the highest title of all mankind. We are children of God, but in that, we are called and are meant to be servants. Really, the word is slaves. Paul embraced being a slave of Jesus. So, man, in, 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 in all of this, God is saying, listen, listen to me, listen to me. How you're going to achieve greatness in my kingdom is being a slave on earth. The world might not think much of it, but in the kingdom, if you decide to be a slave, that's great in my eyes. I wonder, when's the last time you embraced being called a slave? A slave of righteousness, a slave of Jesus Christ. When you look at man just the world and how they do this, man. I mean, so, so you, got all, you got people who got all these degrees, got these cars, got this money. And then you see in Mark chapter 8, Christ says, what does it profit for a man to gain the world and then lose the soul? And what in exchange of the soul can he give me? How much money can, give, can Bill Gates give to God and say, God, I'm going to give you back your billions. Just let me in heaven. No. So your billions cannot get you into heaven. Only Christ can. So now you have, man, this world, they, they are pursuing all of this and, man, and thinking that at the end they're going to be great. And let me tell you, being great in the world is not being great in God's eyes or in the kingdom. And so today I, I want to define for us this idea of serving, that a slave of God, I'm called to serve the world. So I, I want to give us a working definition of what it means to serve. I'm going to flesh out this definition, and then I'm going to sit down. So, now, we won't get into Mark chapter 10, but we will cover, cover various texts. Because I want to because under this definition, there are three things that I want to point out uh, about the idea of what is service and what is serving. And, man, and my hope and prayer is that, man, at the end of this, man, we desire that we long and ask God, God, help me to serve. Help me to be a servant. Okay? So here's the definition uh, that God gave me this week. It is service is a selfless act empowered by the Spirit of God that brings glory to God and good to his people. Let's, 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 let's go through it again. It is a selfless act empowered by the Spirit of God that brings glory to God the Father and good to others. 
First point is service, it is a selfless act. In short, in order for us to be great, we have to first deny self. We have to deny self. It's a selfless act. I was reading a book, and one guy said this. There are two sorts of people in the church. There are those who serve, and there are those who feel they, they deserve. There are those who come in, and they understand the role that the gospel has called them to, uh, to do and to be, and that serve. But yet there are some here that think that, man, that they just deserve. And y'all listen to me. When it comes to serving, we need to make up our choice now. That if I want to be great, I cannot also be comfortable. Either I'm going to be a servant of God and walk the path of Christ, or I'm going to be comfortable, be served. You serve me. Do what I want done, then, I'm, then, then I'll be happy, not really giving of myself, but man, listen to me, I'm going to be comfortable, I'm going to get from y'all, and you get nothing from me. That's not the state of the church overall, but, but just think about it. Many of us, either we serve or we think we deserve. I was telling my wife, man, just really, man, understanding this, 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 this idea of, of selfless, it's a selfless act. So I called my wife in to our meeting room last night. That's, that's the bathroom, y'all. That's the bathroom. They were coming to my secondary office. I have some things to confess to you. I said, I said, Alicia. I really want our marriage to be great. I really want to be a great husband to you. But the issue is, I don't want to serve you without me being in the way. Because it's at least if, if the truth be told, when I serve you, I want you, I want you to promote me and not God. I want you to tell folk and brag about how good my husband is and not how great our God is. That in the midst of me serving you, there's a lot of self involved in that. And until service becomes selfless, I would never achieve greatness. And if the truth be told, listen, people outside of Stonegate, they struggle with the idea of being selfless. Now, we all... Got the good in here. I know you are, you are selfless servants. You lay down your life for all people. So nobody here has the struggle. But me, now I, just, I, no, I, I know that. And I've come to grips that I'm a selfish dude. That God is, 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 is calling constantly to die to self that I may achieve great things through you, son. Now understand. That you may not be great in Cedar Hill, Grand Prairie, Melissa, but son, if you let me use you, you will be great in the kingdom, but you've got to get self out the way. Die to self. And it's the hardest thing to do is, 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 is to die to, to your own self. But it's possible. Look what Paul writes to church at, at Philippi, chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. 
He says, do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let this mind uh, uh, among yourselves be among yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus. When it comes to the idea of being selfless and serving, this selfless act that is defined in this working definition, he says that when it comes to service or serving, you have to make the other person more valuable, more significant than you. Not just your wife, not just your kids, not just your family members, but everyone that I have put before you to serve, you have to make them more valuable and significant than yourself. Now, does that only hurt my, me, or does it also, also speak to you? Because I don't, that's not the common thing in my life. I'm not going around trying to make everybody more important than me. So if that's true, there's a lot of self in me involved in serving. Because I'm not trying to make the other person or other people more significant or valuable than me. I struggle with that with my wife. So you know the next person going to have it. It's just a struggle. But if you really want to serve the way Christ has served us, we have to become selfless, putting the interests of the others even before us also. Think about this. How many times, not 10 out of 10, are you putting the interests of somebody else before yours? It's hard to do. It's, it seems impossible to do, to to make this person or these people more significant and more valuable than me, God, or, or is that service? Yes, it is. Yeah, that's part of serving. And that's why the second part of this definition is so critical. It is a selfless act empowered by the Spirit of God. The only way we can serve and this way is by crying on, beseeching, and begging, and depending on the Spirit of God to do it through us. It is the Spirit's job not only to kill self, but also to give you strength to serve in such a way where God is glorified at the end. You can't serve in a way that's great and of yourself. Don't care how smart you think you are, how many muscles you think you have. When it comes to man uh, 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 being selfless, that's simply an act and work and desire of God himself. First Peter chapter 4, it, it, it alludes to this. As each has received a gift, let me stop there, because if you are a child of God, it was upon the Spirit of God to give you whatever gift he willed for you to have. So every child of God is gifted. 
There is not, a, there's not an, an ungifted child in the house. Now, when it comes to me singing, y'all, I'm gifted. Not to sing, amen? You don't want me singing, amen? You, you, made me, you don't want that. You don't, no, no, no. It's, it's best for us all. That is not my gift. And I understand that somewhat. I still try. You know, getting a shower, man, I think I'm just Marvin Gaye. I mean, I, I, mean, I get the, I mean, I, I own the power, but I understand that. Man, listen to me. That's not my talent. That's not my gift. But I know that somehow, someway, God has gifted me to serve him in the body. Each child has, has been given a gift. The question is, are you using the gift? So, so, so each child, each child, each, each child of God has a gift. Which they are to use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Here it is, verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks, oracles of God. Whoever serves as the one, here it is, who serves by the strength that God supplies. In every area of ministry that a child of God is serving, they are to depend solely upon God's strength to do it in a way where God is glorified. I walked in this morning in the foyer, looked to the right, and I saw people holding babies with a smile. Poop and poot and all. <laughs> They're holding the babies with a smile, with patience. They're kind of holding the baby as if God is holding them. As if God is saying, man, listen to me, I want you to ask for strength that you would care for and care for the needs and love this child the way that I, God, would love and care for his needs. But that's impossible even in children's ministry, preschool ministry, without asking God, give me strength to do this. Even holding a baby, even for guys who show up in the morning at 6 a.m. to set up. Give me strength to be on time. To do it in a way that brings you joy. And there's joy to my soul in setting up chairs for you to sit and tear down children, whatever, whatever you say. Y'all, it, it, it is so important for us to ask God, help me to do this in your strength. Preaching, praying, wherever it is, God, I need your strength to do it in a way where people see me do it. They don't talk about me. They talk about you, God. I'm serving you in this. And whatever gift and whatever capacity God has you serving, he says, you're going to need my strength to do it in a way that only I can do it. In the book of Galatians, Chapter 1, Paul is giving his summary of how God actually saved him down at the uh, end part of that chapter. But I want us to look at verses, uh, uh, verses 22. It says, and I was still unknown in person in the churches of Judea that are in Christ. 
They only were here to say it. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Hold up. This, he went from killing Christians to now making Christians. This guy, he used to try to kill and, and destroy, but now he's preaching the faith he once tried to Try to destroy it. And look what the Bible says that when they heard Paul preaching, look what they said about Paul in verse 24. And they glorified God because of me. I'm preaching, but they're making much of God. When God is using you, when God is using you to serve in whatever capacity, in whatever place, God is saying, let's ensure that they make much of me. Because God is only doing great things through you and in you for people to know and see him. It's never about you. It's always about him. And I think that when it comes to us being great, you want it to stop at us. No, it's to work through you that people may know and cherish God. It is a selfless act empowered by the Spirit of God. Look what Paul says here in uh, that verse of 11 of 1 Peter 4. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Yes, Alicia, I want to be a great husband. Yes, Nick and Neriah, I want to be a great father. Yes, Stonegate, I want to be a great servant. But, but most of all, I want God to be glorified. Is that what you're asking? Is that what you're stating when God is using you to serve, whether it be at work, at school, in a neighborhood, at church, wherever it is, is that your end statement? That God, the end of me serving, and me, and me knowing that I have to be selfless and empowered by your spirit to do this well, that God, in the end, I simply want it to be, I simply want much to be made of you, primarily. And the latter part of this definition is, I also want to do good for others. So it's a selfless act empowered by the Spirit of God to bring glory to God and good for his people. This idea of good, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, says that God, he has saved and he has created all of us unto good works. That, that, that God has called all of his saints, all of his children, to do good works. We are designed for that. Do you, God saved you for that purpose. Listen, listen, he could have saved you and called you home, but he didn't. He called you, left you, that he might work through you, that you might not only bring glory to him, but, 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 but do good to a creation that, that groans for him to return. God, he's, he saved you and left you to glorify him, but also to do good to people who are around you. Here it is, just and unjust, bad or evil, mean or nice, 
kind or, 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 or whatever you call it. He's called you to serve all of God's people. We cannot pick and choose who to serve. It's a selfish act empowered by God for us to do good to all people. That is what Paul, that, that's what Christ was saying about them. You need to be servants of all people. So there are three areas where I want us to really think about this idea of, of doing good works too. Three areas, three needs. And y'all, I was telling my wife this. Do you know, baby, that in order for us to be great, we simply have to identify needs and not wants? God is great because he meets our needs. He's promised us solely to meet shelter, food, and clothing, and nothing else. And because of that, he's great. He has to do nothing else. He said, listen, I'm, 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 I'm going to meet your need, your physical needs, and, hey, and that alone, you don't, I don't have to meet your wants. Just, baby, if we just understand what each other needs are and meet those by the Spirit of God in a selfless way, that is the foundation for us to have a great marriage. I asked a couple at the service. I said, man, when was the last time you asked your spouse or a friend what, what were their needs? He said, never. So there is the, there's the physical need that we ought to meet. There's the emotional need that we ought to meet. Then there is the spiritual need we ought to meet. Let me talk briefly about physical need. James 2, 14 through 17 says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it is dead. Acts 20, 35 says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. When it comes to God blessing us with possessions, he never meant for it to stay with us. He meant for us to share it with those who have a need. He didn't bless you to save more money. And that's good. But when there are tangible needs that need to be met around you and you holding your hand and you holding your, your heart and say, I'm not doing that. James says, man, that kind of faith is dead. We are called to meet the physical, the, the physical and tangible needs of each other in marriage, in church, and in the community. There is this idea of meeting physical needs. But then there's also this idea of meeting emotional needs. So i like, baby, I don't, do I do a good job of this? He said, no. Thank you, thank you, thank you for, 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 thank you for being honest. I said, so what are these emotional needs? 
So, I, I'm a, fellows, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm going to help y'all out. Ladies, thank me later on, okay? And just, and just in relationships, period. Emotional needs are those feelings or times where one desires to feel accepted, appreciated, important, valued, understood, cared for, love. I'm like, baby, when was the last time I asked you, how can I meet your basic emotional needs? Is that a question? Or are you being serious? She, she said, I, I. that's not a question asked often in our home. As saints, with people all around us, whether at home, at school, at work, or wherever it is, God has called his children to, to help in, to aid in meeting the emotional needs of people lost and saved around us. Uh, the text that I got for this is more, it's, now, contextually, it's, 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 it's an idea of, of, of married couples, but I think relationally, it, 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 it speaks to everything. First uh, 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 Peter 3, 5, and 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Likewise, husbands, if you're single, this fits you too. Because he's talking about relationships, I believe, as a whole. That we need to live or hang out or, or, or do life with each other in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Emotionally. You can't lead anyone if you don't listen to them. This may be difficult for some, but I said, oh, God, from here on out, I'm going to have what we call pillar talk with my wife. And I'm not going to ask you, how is your day? I'm going to ask you, how is your heart? How are you doing? How can I pray for you? What can I today show you that I appreciate, love, cherish, curl, and desire to understand? Where can I do this at? And y'all, because my natural bent is selfishness, if I don't depend on the spirit of God to do this through me, it never will happen because I'm selfish by nature. And we're not called only to do this with people we're married to. It's people God has decided to place us in their lives to help not only meet the physical need, but also their emotional need. I asked a guy one day, I said, I said, man, how is it going? That was a 35-minute talk. 
I'm not trying to go there, man. I didn't have to go up. Fine. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's, that's what I want him to say. Fine, man. I'm doing good. Well, since you ask, let me tell you, 35 minutes of me having to die to self to meet his emotional need. You cannot do this without the Spirit of God. And then there is the spiritual need. I decided, yeah, so <laughs> about five years ago, I preached a sermon at a church entitled, As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And from that sermon, I said, If you cuss or drink beer of any sort, you cannot come in my house. Because I have, we're going to serve God. So I'm going to leave y'all out and invite in all the saved people. So when I made that, that declaration, 95% of the people were left outside. Because most of them cuss, including Christians, and drink. And, and God was the son. What wisdom is that? I, I reclined with sinners. They call me a friend of gluttons and drunkards, and you're trying to stay away from them? So did I kick you out to bring you in? Or, or did I bring you in to change you and then send you back out? So the lost people need to see the gospel, not just hear it, invite them in your home. So now I, I got to stay with me. I'm trying to make friends only with people who are lost. Because I know that the greatest spiritual need is Jesus. But on the flip side, the greatest need for somebody who is saved is Jesus also. We all need Jesus. Without that now. From the A to Z, we all need us some Jesus. Whether you've been saved for five years, 10 years, 20 years, or six months, we all need us some Jesus. And what we need is the Holy Spirit to show us how to speak wisdom and life at, at every stage and season of one's life, where at the end of the day, they see a need of Jesus. And they believe this gospel truth found in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Here it is. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Listen, listen, listen. From eternity past, God foreknew you and predestined you for one thing only, to be conformed to the image of the Son. That is the greatest need that anyone has or need. Jesus. And somehow, someway, we've matured past Jesus. I need to give them somebody else or some that's known. They need Jesus. 
When it's all said and done, we all need Jesus. And y'all listen to me. That's the beauty of, of, of the gospel. It affects all of life for the eternity of life until he comes back again for you. I missed a quote, and I, and, and I want to say it because I think it was, it, it, it was so good. All of this is going to take us being selfless. And so this quote says this, that selfless service doesn't start with being serving, uh, doesn't start with serving. It starts with being served by God. Then as we are satisfied in him and who he's revealed himself to be in his crucified son, we gladly overflow in service of others. Don't try to serve others without first being served by God. We served out of that and not for that. We serve from that and not out of that. Last quote by John Stott, a scholar and a pastor about this idea that one spiritual need mostly is to be conformed to the image of the son that God has called us to walk with, walk, along, walk alongside those, all of us who need this to happen in our lives. He says that Christ's likeness is the will of God for the people of God. Romans 8.29 reads that God has predestined his people to be conformed to the image of his son. That is to become like Jesus. We all know that when Adam fell, he lost much, though not all, of the divine image in which he had been created. But God has restored it all in Christ. Conformity to the image of God means to become like Jesus. Christ-likeness is the eternal predestining purpose of God for all people. We've been called. It was all said and done by meeting one's greatest needs to help them either come to know Christ or to cherish him even more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you. God, I sit here and I, I, I ponder about God and just I think just hearing this sermon, God, and, and, and just knowing me that I, I, God, I fail in a lot of this. From home to church to neighbors, God, to family, God, to friends, to foes. I, I, I'm not, God, I am, I am the most imperfect servant that you've called to serve. This gives me today, at this moment, plenty of reason to rejoice in Christ, who was the perfect servant for me. That doesn't excuse any of us for desiring to be great through service. But it should convict us, move us, that because Christ is this for us always, that we should be this for those you've placed in our path. We want to serve. 
We want to be selfless and depend on God and bring glory to him and good to others, God, but we're going to need you to help us in this. There is no way in the world that we can serve in a way that achieves greatness apart from you. Father, my prayer here is that God, it, it, it would start with those who are close to us. You would help us to become great servants that make much of you in whatever season of the life that we're in. We desire to be great. Help us to be a slave to all for the glory of you, Father. I pray this. I pray this. Your son's name. Now, there might be one here tonight, Father, that, or this morning that desires to be great. And outside of going the route you've already planned and predestined, they've tried to do it the other way, the way the world has defined what greatness is. But today, right now, you want to turn that idea, that path upside down and say, you must become a slave to all to be great in the kingdom of God. First, let's become first a slave of righteousness. And Father, that happens. That, that, that happens when, when one repents of sin. Throw their life on you. Trust that you have absolved every ounce of wrath for them in Jesus. And in that, in that confession, in them repenting and being placed in Christ, now in Christ, they are seen as great as Christ is. That there is no difference between them and Christ because Christ was great for us. How I struggle at times to believe that. Father, help us in this room, near or far, Believe that for your glory. Help us to be better servants in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.